Hello and welcome back to Impulse Chats. I have Raven joining me today. She is the creator of the Alaya Tantra School. She is a workshop facilitator and a very widely respected teacher of Tantra amongst a plethora of other things um, that she does. My name is Sarah Barnes and if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram uh, at Impulse yoga underscore and this recording will be going out on instagram tv in parts as well as going on my youtube channel and on apple itunes podcast and spotify if you search for impulse chats by sarah barnes let's not waste any more time thank you raven so much for joining me today you're welcome thank you for having me oh my pleasure all the way from bali um Mm -hmm. so Uh, Let's begin. Please share um, for the benefit of me and um, everyone who's listening and watching a little bit of information about your background, your journey and why you came to work in your field. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I started off my education with a law degree and honours in philosophy and philosophy certainly opened up my mind to different theories, different ways of looking at things. I was always very interested in different perspectives on the meaning of life. (laughs) And my father was a EFT practitioner, emotional freedom technique and an esoteric genius of sorts. So I grew up with meditation and personal development. So my early background was academic and very geared towards more masculine practices like EFT and meditation. And then I started to tip my toes into somatic experiencing, which is body-based experiencing where I was learning a bit more about the body and how it's connected to the mind and the soul and our emotions, but just tipped my toes in. (laughs) And then I had two children at 25. So that kind of took over my life a little bit. I started a business called Harmonious Mother, Harmonious Baby and worked with with women and mothers and supported them in home births. And I home birthed both my kids. And I also did the Rudolf Steiner teacher training. So up until I was about 32, lots of education, lots of personal development. And then I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And, you know, my knowledge around how the physical body and the emotional body are connected made me think, okay, the practices I'm using, there must be something astray here if I've manifested this illness. And I went kind of searching for other modalities. And one of my friends at the Steiner School actually said to me, oh, you know, I know a shaman who's coming, who's going to be in town. Why don't you have a chat to him? And that completely turned my life around. He was also a tantric master and introduced me to tantra. And yeah, I discovered that I was really angry. I discovered that I had a lot of suppressed trauma I hadn't been looking at. And I also discovered that through the body, we can reach the unconscious and really untap a lot of things that are holding us back from living living in our own unique soul, you know, all of that genetics and conditioning and trauma that puts the veils up can be lifted through incredible practices. 
that take us into our masculine, into our feminine, into our repressed emotions, into our sexuality. So yeah, that's, that's where I landed and that's what completely changed my life and created this passion for bringing it forth more into the world. And we're going to have to talk about the subject of Tantra um, because there is a bit of a confusion about um, what, what that means. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite a common misconception. So uh, what type of Tantra do you teach and what misconceptions do you find that people come to you with this idea of what Tantra is? Mm-hmm. So because Tantra is the only spirituality that addresses sexuality, that's what everybody focuses on. So the biggest misconception is that Tantra is about sex. So yes, sexuality is a component of Tantra, but the foundation of Tantra is based on meditation, such as Yantra, meditation, deity worship. You can see Shiva behind me. It's The foundations are really in this space of taking our attention from outward to inward and bringing our awareness, you know, Shiva, the masculine principle of auspiciousness and spaciousness into relationship with Shakti, our life force energy, our breath, our emotions and going, okay, when I bring my awareness into relationship with my emotions and my life force energy, who am I? So, that who am my question of Ramana Mahashi and the Vedanta tradition is really taken into the body with Tantra and the Tantra that I teach, I guess is, is a bit of everything. You know, my training, my, my initial training was more in red Tantra and a lot of strong sexual practices. And then I came more into traditional Tantra with through Kundalini yoga and through study, studying the Vinyan Bharav and the Shiva Sutras and you know working with different teachers so i feel like what i the reason i've got so passionate about creating my own school and i've written a lot of manuals and created retreats workshops session series online courses was because when i came into tantra i really wanted something written that made sense and that was practical. And, you know, I felt like I had to decode all of these complicated scriptures and, you know, I really enjoyed the practices, but because my background was in self-development and, you know, I also was the CEO of a big organization in, in my later twenties and I've, I've always had my own businesses and my parents had their own businesses And I could just feel that part of Tantra that was just like not practical and not grounded and not really having the strong foundations that is needed if you're going to live your everyday life with children like I had and, you know, needing needing to show up for different people and different things in life. So, So I started to write. You know, I'm, I love writing. So I started to condense a lot of the sutras into practical methods. I started to use my own experience and processes as a pathway into supporting other people so that they didn't have to take as long as I did to get through certain things. And I, I feel like, you know, white tantra is more 
you know, transcendental meditation and deity worship and yantra, which is sacred geometrical symbols. Red tantra is more, you know, the emotional body getting in there. It's based on gnosis leading eros leading to gnosis, which one of my one of the philosophies philosophers I studied. Plato used to say that. So it's like basically sexuality leads to truth. And also all of that energy that accumulates when we're actually engaging with another and allowing our spiritual practice to be felt in our relationships and in the bedroom. So I feel like there's white Tantra and there's red Tantra, white being at the crown, red being more at the sacral. And I like to bring those together into the center of the heart. So often I refer to the school style of Tantra as being Rose Tantra. And, and to me, it's really real Tantra is a feminine art of acknowledging that we need to come into the body if we're going to go beyond the body. Otherwise, it's spiritual bypass and otherwise we can't live in the world. And we also need to go up into the heart and into consciousness and not just get lost in overextending sexual energy or using Tantra as a way to, you know, just be basically fucking everyone and everything (laughs) and going, Oh, this is Tantra. So, yeah. And was there one particular catalyst that made you decide to open the Tantra school? Was there a specific thing that happened or a specific moment, a specific aha for you? Yeah. I, I I could feel that a lot of the practices in Tantra were not giving me a, giving me enough space to integrate and there wasn't enough focus on meditation and consecration and there wasn't enough conversation happening. So, you know, as, as I said, I did my honours in philosophy and Carl Gustav Jung was the my definitely my favorite teacher in philosophy and he was also a psychologist and I dived into a lot of that and also somatic experiencing which which taught me a lot about the nervous system and fight or flight response freeze response and what I started to notice is that there was a lot of activation but not a lot of integration and then when I went more into the kundalini yoga and into the more traditional tantra I could feel a lot of transcendence and not a lot of activation. So I'm like, okay, what, what I want to create is a school that honors the need for invocation of the deities, consecrating whatever we do to the betterment of humanity, having com- real conversation about what's going on in the person's nervous system. Are they experiencing addiction? Are they experiencing difficulties with anxiety, medication, all of that stuff that often gets lost and not talked about and then taking them into activation and really allowing that activation to happen slowly and then consciously bringing it into integration through sound and breath work. So the catalyst was to create the safety that I didn't have at the beginning of my tantric journey. A lot of my trauma was brought up to the surface And I didn't know what the fuck to do with it, you know, and it was great. It was perfect. That's what I needed at the time. I kind of went from a strong focus on the mind and consciousness and more masculine practices into Tantra. So I almost needed to plunge into the polarity of that. But then I swung back into the middle and found my own path, which is what I'm passionate about sharing. And 
why do you think um particularly in in the west there is there has been quite a boom in people who are interested in having these types of conversations surrounding tantra why do you think that's happening you know now is do you think there's a particular reason for that i think because people are finally realizing that there is a need to go into the body and that the personal development field or the mainstream field of not going into the body, it's simply not working anymore. <laughs> There's too much darkness on the planet to deny the dark anymore. And it's, it doesn't work to not go into the body. It's it, it just, it, it's not what we're here when, what we're here to do. We're here to have a human experience which allows us to embody our awakening. I find um, uh, what you put out on your Instagram for the school and for yourself is, has been really beneficial for me personally um, because what I found is that, you know, I teach yoga and I'm very much in that sort of that yoga teacher world, but we in your yoga teacher training, you know, you don't talk about sexuality and we talk about all these systems in the body and, you know, Ayurveda, but this big chunk of what is so much that makes us human um, is left out. Um, and what you said before um, was quite interesting when you were talking about the masculine and the feminine, because particularly coming back here to England, you do notice that they've taken the, the concept of yoga and made it quite masculine. It's about power yoga. It's about sweating and pushing and pulling and pumping. And it seems like there's this obsession with taking something quite feminine and nourishing and nurturing and then boxing it into this, like, and, and I'm not saying masculine, like pointing a finger at things that are masculine or, you know, talking about all that you know, toxic masculinity rubbish that I don't personally believe is true. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, it seems like there is, to me, I can feel there's a crying out for wanting a more fuller, holistic way of understanding mm -hmm. the body and sexuality. And do you, um, do you find that as well with when you're teaching? Yeah, for sure. I mean, our sexuality is our birthright. It's our gateway into true union and bliss. I mean, what other reason to be human than to experience the full merging of two bodies into oneness? Like how incredible is that? If, if it's practiced with a, mood of deep intimacy and union instead of the model we get from pornography or religion you know the pornography model is all about outcome and image and having a perfect pussy and big cock and ejaculating everywhere and you know it's crazy that that's our education it's equally as crazy that the other side of education is abstinence and to completely deny sexuality and, you know, somewhere in the middle of those two extremes is sex that's hot and holy. And that's what Tantra is, real, real Tantra. And, and I think that in what's masked as being Tantra, sometimes there's not enough holy. And sometimes in what's masked as Tantra, there's not enough hot, you know, <laughs> there, there needs to be both. And what sexuality does is it connects us to our whole bodies. It connects the masculine and the feminine. It's like that earthy pelvic 
sacral root chakra moving all the way through into the solar plexus, into the heart, into our awareness and, you know, out into the heavens and connecting us with God. And and then we're doing that with another person. So there's this beautiful personal element and there's this transpersonal element. And I see lovemaking as meditation. And even when I'm wild and, you know, really turned on, it's still meditation because meditation is simply being with what is and, you know, sensation, being aware of sensation. So, you know, if you take a lot of the principles of Vipassana and you put them into a tantric context where sexuality is also welcome, we're aware of the breath you know, we've got this inner massage happening with the breath as we're receiving our lover and giving to our lover. And there's this beautiful dance of full loving awareness and presence, no matter what experience is happening. And so, you know, what meditation gives us is the capacity to hold experience and sensation without going into the future or into the past. Can we be present? That's that's what I see to be the gift of meditation. And actually, what better way to do that than, than through lovemaking? And, of course, we need that time just to meditate solo. But I go into the most amazing states of bliss and oneness and um, that nothingness and everythingness state and even DMT release when, when I'm making love. And. Um- and so actually you just spoke about release, um, which leads me very nicely on to my next question. Um, what is uh, express and release? I know you talk a, a, a bit about that. Could you please explain that? So express and release is having the ability to lean into our pain and pleasure instead of going off on our minds while we're making love or while we're experiencing pleasure, instead of going off with our minds when we're experiencing pain and distracting ourselves from what's here and when we can express what's moving within us, our grief, our bliss, our anger, our joy, our laughter, and allow it to discharge or release from the body, then we're feeling everything fully. And, you know, in a, in a context of trauma, we have a lot of frozen parts in ourselves that have experienced breakups, accidents, sexual trauma, physical trauma, um, emotional abuse, physical abuse, you know, so much stuff that we experience in our lives. And all of that stays stuck in the body and frozen in time. And when we can lean in towards our experiences and ask ourselves, what does this remind me of? Then there's something deeper, something deeper, something deeper. And as we're willing to meditate on our emotions in a way that's more allowing of the feminine's full expression, we can make sound, we can allow energy to move, and we can express and release not only what we're experiencing in that moment, but when you know something really triggering happens, we can express and release the backlog of what that's reminding us of, because I'm sure you and all of the listeners out there have experienced being very triggered by something that seems very trivial. But if we actually had a practice of breathing into that, leaning into it, instead of running or fighting or going codependent with our wounds, then then we would be able to express and release that and then center in and go, okay, right now in this present moment, what what's alive and maybe there's a need to be expressed or maybe you know you need to 
have a sleep or dance or shake. And so as we learn to express and release our emotions, there's a greater attunement to who we really are. Thank you. That's a very good explanation. Um, Why do you think, given your experience, um, there is this big disconnection, specifically more in the West, uh, with us and our bodies? Why do you think that is? And um, do you think there are ways that we can quite easily uh, unpick that? Unpick it? in an authentic way where you're unraveling it in the body or unpick it mentally? Um, oh, I, to be honest, I didn't really think about that, but I guess from what you're talking about, it's, it's a, it's a body thing. Yeah. I mean, it can be easy to unpick from a mental perspective and, and I'll go into that, but the unravel, the true authentic unraveling of that and embodiment level is not easy. It's very difficult because we have been trained. So, The reason that we're like that is because we've been trained from kindergarten, really, unfortunately, to learn from our minds, to be penetrated at our minds. There's no acknowledgement of the feeling body in our education system. It's all about how much do we know? What can we work out? What grades are we going to get? And so everyone's just trained to live here. There's nothing taught about sexuality. There's nothing taught about relationships. There's nothing taught about following your heart. So we have all of these people who are just chopped off from here and you can see it. You know, people are walking with their heads like this and they're on their phones and they're on their computers and they're in this whole world of mind that's extremely destructive and separated from who we really are. And then addiction set in, depression sets in, anxiety sets in, and then we need medication for that which disconnects us even more. And then we need wine or pot or social media or whatever the addiction is just to find the bliss that we're designed to feel as humans because we don't know how to cultivate that within ourselves because we're so disconnected. So the way out is to replace those addictions, to replace that disconnection with connection, with addictions that are actually healthy, like, you know, meditating or you know my latest addiction is going to saunas and then plunging in freezing cold water and just feeling the aliveness of that and you know there there was a time when I was addicted to emotional release and that's definitely better than an addiction to working or to um you know I didn't my my addiction was work addiction or you know some people to drugs that are really destructive or yeah sex addiction love addiction obsessing over people all of that kind of stuff and and so how do you think that 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 is reflected in how people are dealing with their daily lives and their relationships and and sexuality so what happens if someone is disconnected with their body how does it how how from your experience have you seen it play out in the rest they're mentalizing of everything they're mentalizing everything you know conversations in relationships are happening from the mind sex is happening from this mental perspective of fantasy or what we need to do and this is okay first I do this then I do this and that'll get her wet that'll get him hard then we come together we fuck and then you know he ejaculate she has an orgasm hopefully and then he ejaculates and it's all over and our work is mentalized okay if I work this many hours I'm gonna earn this amount and 
yeah, every, everything is mental. We're not able to have the vulnerable conversations that we need to have in relationships. We can't ask for what we truly need and desire. We're not in the moment when we're making love and really feeling everything fully. We're not able to follow our heart path and do what absolutely lights us up. And everyone ends up like robots, you know, getting up, doing the same shit they did yesterday, going to work, trying to find security through a future that's never going to come and basically living for the future and in the past and not actually being able to be present. That That's the biggest disease of how society lives so much in their mind and disconnected from the body. Hmm. And as you're someone who is um, giving out your energy and holding space for people often, what is it that you do? What practices do you do um, in order to get grounded and stable and also stay charged? So I have a daily practice. There's not a day that goes by where I don't just drop in and check out what's going on and meditate, watch my thoughts, watch my feelings. If there's something really alive, whether it's bliss or anger or grief or laughter, then allowing that to, to move through me. I like to do Surya Namaskar every day and sing mantra every day. So I worship different deities. At the moment, I'm, I'm practicing with Shiva, who I always end up coming back to him. I just had a month of Lakshmi and now I'm, I'm back to Shiva and, you know, just take my mala beads and 108 times Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya and really call his energy in and become one with him. And it's, you know, deity worship is a way of really embracing our superpowers, knowing that that loving awareness and, and ability to transmute poison into nectar lives in all of us and, and calling that in, or, you know, if I'm really needing better boundaries, I'll, I'll practice with Durga. Or if I'm last month, I was practicing with Lakshmi because there was this, like a lot of pressure had been on me for work the month before. And I was wanting to just immerse in beauty and love and of the abundance of lushness in Bali. So yeah, depending on where I'm at, a different deity. So deity worship, mantra, stillness meditation, sometimes expressing and releasing. And of course, lovemaking is definitely part of my daily practice. So, so those things keep me really alive. And also just, you know, following my bliss, joy. If you follow your joy, you'll be led to your purpose. You'll fill your cup. You'll create wholeness in your life. And it's, it's like, if you find it difficult to know what brings you joy or, you know, you have things that bring you joy, which you know are unhealthy. Uh, my suggestion is ask yourself, what's the feeling that I have when I drink or when I'm on social media or when I'm working way too many hours, you know, and there's, there's some kind of neurotransmitter release happening, whether it's serotonin, oxytocin. So learn a bit more about yourself and what the feeling is that you want underneath that and then go, okay, that feeling actually lives inside of me. It's not external to me. Can I breathe that feeling in? And what else will give me that feeling? Yeah. Mm. So that's, so that's what I'm always, I'm, I'm always in the inquiry of um, where, where, how can I follow my bliss? And if there's some unhealthy pattern I'm falling into, what's the feeling I want that's underneath that. And I find that, 
that that really that really fuels me and my daily practice anyone who doesn't have a daily practice and thinks they're on a spiritual path is absolutely fucking kidding themselves that that's the that's the essence of the practice because even if it's five minutes a day of dropping in you need that time to take that focus off the external and into the internal. And the, and the mistake I see a lot of people make is that they learn communication tools. They learn about all the beautiful virtues of forgiveness and compassion. And it all goes out the win- window when reaction comes up because their body's not trained to witness. Their body's not trained to hold, have a strong capacity to hold sensation and experience. And your daily practice is that entrainment. And, you know, I feel like life has become a meditation for me. Really, like, because I've been so committed, I can be so present in life. And, of course, I'm not perfect and I fuck up and I go into reaction. But I have that association in my body. I have that place of remembering that I can come back to because who I am is love and anything else is, a, is, a, is an illusion. So part of my practice is always at the end I remind myself I am love. I am loving awareness, you know, and, and, and feeling that through my body and you have to start your day as you mean to go in the first five minutes of your day are going to dictate the success of your entire life. And when I say success, what I mean is how well have you lived? How well have you loved and how deeply committed are you to leaving the legacy that you came here to leave on the planet? And where do you go for your inspiration? If you ever feel a little bit demotivated or you just want to light the fire a little bit brighter, where are the the places that you go or the books or the teachers that you go to? I go deep inside. (laughs) I go underwater. You know, I, I feel like anything above water when I'm needing that inspiration or I'm needing something to light me up. It's because there's something unresolved underwater and I'm old enough now, finally at 42 to realize that there's no magic pill for what I'm feeling and that I am my greatest teacher. Um, If I'm finding that really difficult, then I'll go to my partner who's a beautiful ally and support in my life. And he's, he's amazing at, holding space for me and supporting me in, in that underwater dive when I need to go there. I have another teacher. Her name is Sarita, Mananda Sarita. She's in her 60s and she lived, in, lived with Osho for, well, in his, in his community for 27 years and with him personally for 16 years. She's a true master of her craft, so she definitely inspires me but I generally don't go to podcasts and workshops and, you know, of course the people who are listening, it's all great. And there, there comes the day where you realize that actually no matter how many podcasts or workshops you attend or books you read, you can't escape yourself. And healing is very close, very close, much closer than you think. And so is awakening when you can simply be lovingly present with what's arising inside of you. And then you can be lovingly present with what's arising in others and then lovingly present with all of life and actually stop giving yourself such a fucking hard time and just be who you are because the change that you want happens when you stop trying to change and you just be yourself fully and feel yourself fully. (laughs) 
And yeah, and of course, you know, everything I've created is to support people to do that. And I think there's a time where everybody needs that intellectual understanding and guidance and practices to take them there. And then when they've done all the practices and they've really listened to everything, it's like, okay, and here I am and here we are. And okay, (laughs) can, can I just be here? I love what you're saying. I really resonate with it because just in my own experience, I go through these phases of being obsessed with consuming and I'm not talking about shopping, but consuming information and it can go from a nice balanced learning to, Oh, I'll learn more listening to this. I'll learn more reading this. Maybe I'll get better when I do this and this and this and this. And then it just becomes this ball of knowledge but no action and no practice. So I think mm-hmm. what you're saying, it really, you know, it resonates with me anyway, because if you've got only information and no practice and no body experience, then mm-hmm. what's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I feel like we live in an information world information rich world and it's great that there's so much out there you know when I was I used to be so weird for being into spirituality and now it's so popular you know and when I first started teaching tantra it was so controversial you know in Perth and it's like you know in a lot of ways I was being demonized and now it's cool to be into tantra so (laughs) it's it's great to to gather information, to learn as much as you can for new things that are coming out. And one suggestion I have for people is to find a teacher that you resonate and stick with that teacher for some time, because while there's great gifts in so much that's attainable right now, I think there's an even greater gift of surrendering to a teacher and really coming into a tradition and being held by that tradition and, and being committed to the practices of that tradition because it can be quite chaotic when we're like, oh, I'm trying kinesiology and I'm trying tantra and I'm trying vipassana. And I'm, it's like it's, it's that kind of endless search, right, for, for what's going to fix us. And, and if you can get away from fixing and stick to one tradition, you know, it takes a deeper commitment. It takes a, deep, a deeper level of presence, but that's actually what you're needing for an authentic path. Mm. I think that's very good, very good advice. Just Mm. out of curiosity, are you finding at your school, at the Tantra school, that you are getting uh, a lot of men and women or is it mostly women or are you noticing a shift? I'm noticing a shift. It's it's been mostly women. Definitely my, my partner has brought more men since I've been teaching with him and he does amazing work with men and with women. Um, and I think that men are starting to go, fuck, you know, I need to connect to my emotions. I need, I need to feel more. So we, we don't really get the men who are interested in Tantra because actually they're interested in meeting women and cause it's like, it's just not what the school holds. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Cause I saw a lot of that. We, we get men who are really genuine and on the path, which, which makes me happy. And, yeah, there's, there's beautiful men coming in. And I think that it's, it's really hard for men, you know. Like at least women, we, we can stay in touch with our essence because, you know, we have this strong sisterhood and our nature is to 
gather and to share and to love and you know have children and create all of that's open to us but men's nature is to hunt and gather and you know to be out on the land and killing shit and building shit and they're, they're so removed from their primal nature i think it's very difficult for men and and that's why there there is more there seems to be the shadow is up in men. It can be a lot more, I guess, destructive in a worldly sense. Like men taught how to hold their cocks instead of guns. The world would change. If more men are to express their emotions and given encouragement to do so, the world change. And if men actually knew about the biological urge to hunt and gather and procreate and get on land and find ways of still expressing that so that their testosterone, you know, w- was being fed and acknowledged and released, then the world would change. So uh, happening more and more as more men's circles are developing. And uh, so on that, on that subject, what advice would you give to women um, as to how to hold space better for their partners? Well, to acknowledge that men have a feminine, you know, what I see in a lot of women is they're walking around with their noses in the air and, oh, he can't show up for me. He can't hold space for me. And it's like, you know what, princess? <laughs> he he has a feminine too. And he has too and he likes to be directed and guided sometimes and he likes to feel safe so I would say cultivate your own masculine start to you know feel your own purpose and give him some of the security that you're wanting in space holding or direction or leadership and and attune to his feminine and and what she's needing and instead of going what are you feeling what do you need because men that we, you know, women drive them crazy with that. Just, just sense it, you know, use your intuition to sense it. And instead of making him wrong or shaming him, you need to the bigger picture. And I think that, you know, a lot of the feminine liberation has stripped away bringing our mothering energy into relationships. And men really need that. Just like we need fathering energy in a way of like, oh, I want to fuck daddy and I want to fuck mummy. Although, you know, that's an interesting unconscious kind of play to play with. But in a way of like, okay, the father witnesses without judgment, creates safety and protects. 